Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, streaking stocks. The Dow and the Nasdaq going for 10 straight days of gains. The investment committee making some new moves as well. We'll document those. Joining me for the hour, Shannon Sakosha, Joe Terranova, Kerry Firestone. Let's check the markets because we have turned green. Carl said we're holding on to them. In fact, we are. And we have a streaking market, obviously. Dow and Nasdaq going for 10 in a row. FedEx was a disappointment. Markets turned around. 10-year, 389. Russell 2000, the surge continues there. Looking at that's the highest level now since April of 2022. Carrie, it's good to have you back on the show. You've been looking at this market breadth, which has been improving as this rally has gone on. And this Russell move is just astounding. Yeah, well, it's definitely been a melt-up few weeks here. And all investors who were skeptical are trying to rush in before the end of the year and pretty up their portfolios to show that they're more invested or that they're in the right stocks. And people have been talking, Scott, about this valuation gap. It's something that I've been looking at. Everyone says, oh, well, the S&P is up 26 percent, but equal weighted stocks aren't up at all, or they're up 5 percent. Well, if you look at the chart we put together, you can see that while the S&P has had this great run, and as of today, it is up 26 percent, but the equal weighted stocks that are up 13 percent are, are up, uh, hold on a minute, uh, yes, 11 and a half percent. Those same stocks, that equal weighted S&P, did not go down that much last year. So it's not as if they had as far to come back. Last year, they were down much less. And if we look at the numbers over on the right, you can see we're about where we work. The market has brought both the S&P weighted, meaning these big cap names, back to where they were two years ago, the beginning of 2022, and also the rest of the market is back to where it was. You pose what I think is arguably the most important question right now, given the rally, the broadening of it, what the makeup of it has become. Are we in the right stocks? That's a critical question. You have your eye on PayPal. I want to go specific stocks here because Joe's got some really cool moves that we're going to do after you answer this question. But why do you have your eye on PayPal as one of those potential right stocks that you want to be in? Okay, so we're trying to look at stocks that have underperformed this year. It's very easy to talk about Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, but, you know, we're talking about things that are up 50 to 80 percent. But if you think about PayPal, this is a stock that has underperformed for three years. I mean, it's really been a terrible stock. We have owned this stock any time I've ever said to buy it has been a mistake. Right now, it's nine times earnings that has a new CEO. They are going to talk about what they are doing, not just cutting costs, which they've done, but is there revenue growth? Can they have margin expansion? That's what we're looking to hear about. If they do, this stock could be like Salesforce. It could be a stock that everyone hated or Adobe hated. Now they love. PayPal has that potential, but we're not sure we're there yet. I mean, it's up 11% in a month. But so is the market. Right, right. Well, a lot of these, this is the problem, though. Yeah. 
Joe, a lot of stocks have ripped, and they've ripped in a really short period of, of time, like Morgan Stanley, which is up 15% in one month. And you bought it back. I sure did. And you admit that you made a mistake getting out in the first place. Talk to us. Oh, without question. And I'll tell you, I thought Josh did a fantastic job yesterday with uh, the five lessons that he's learned. And it really got me thinking this morning. Um, I I am not one that has deep affection for individual equities that I own in my portfolio. And I try never to allow the ego to get in the way of recognizing when you have made a mistake. And I made a clear and obvious mistake in October. So, you know, what do you do about that? I sold Morgan Stanley in the mid-70s. I had owned Morgan Stanley. It was one of what I call the pandemic stocks, a stock that I had bought in the low 40s. I had significant gains on it. After earnings, I sold out of it. I went on air. I told everyone I sold out in the mid-70s. Yeah, in Bank of America at the same time, I think those two, right? So what what are you going to do? Sit there and and continue because you got out to allow your ego to get in the way? Or are you going to recognize what's right in front of you? And what's right in front of you is the stock is trading above 90. Could the stock pull back into the mid-80s? And, you know, I'm, I'm getting into the stock here at the wrong price? Probably could. But... That's not what I'm looking towards. I'm looking towards what the destination is for this company. And the destination for Morgan Stanley is beyond $100. And I say that because the environment has changed so dramatically. We're seeing the optimism permeate throughout the entire capital market structure. That benefits Morgan Stanley. That benefits the activity Mm -hmm. that they are going to see. I want to be in that stock. I don't care what I did in October. I was wrong. Okay, I admit it. I'm wrong. It's about where we go. Let's move forward. Financials have woken up, uh, obviously, in the last you know couple months. It's part of why the rally has been able to, Shannon, broaden out. Financial sector is going for the seventh positive week out of out of the past eight, um, and we're at a 52-week high today. The financials. Yeah, I mean, I think when we think about what was the stress on financials in the first half of this year, there was a significant amount of concern around credit losses. There was a lot of provisioning going on. Um, there were concerns about, obviously, in the aftermath of, of the, the, the um, banking issues that we had in March, there were concerns about what banks were holding to maturity. There's certainly the overhang of Basel, Basel III and the additional regulation. Um, there have been parts of the financial sector that have done well. People have been hiding out in insurance, for instance. The multiples there are certainly much more than other parts of the financial sector. So there's a couple of things that have changed. Number one, credit losses haven't been as bad as anticipated. Um, We aren't seeing the significant pressure in commercial real estate that I think people were um, prepared for as it relates to particularly uh, bank balance sheets. And then the third thing is, you know, we're going to see a normalization of the yield curve, right? We're going to see the short end start to move down, and that could create a a better environment. The the thing is, is that there's still going to be some divergence and differentiation among financial and so if you look at the big banks, you know, to, to Joe's point, you know, you think about the business lines that are going to be able to perform better, you know, you're thinking about capital markets activity being renewed next year. You're thinking about um, credit cards. We're talking about delinquencies, but there's, those are fee rich, um, you know, when, when we have delinquencies in credit cards. And we're seeing an increased usage as consumers no longer have that margin of safety. So um, if you're thinking about what could be the broadening out of the market, I think you'd have to see continued yeah. uh, momentum momentum and sentiment around areas like financials coming into 24. I mean, I'm looking at this group over a month, and, and Joe, 
Every stock has done incredibly well. J.P. Morgan's up more than 10 percent. Goldman's up 13. Bank of America, 12. Citi, almost 13. And I mentioned the 15 from Morgan Stanley, which, by the way, you know, as most of you probably know by now, is going to have a management change. Uh, James Gorman on the way out, by the way, his exit interview is, is going to be with David Faber tomorrow. We're excited about that, of course. I know Fabes is, too, uh, as he gets ready for that. Do you, how do you, does that factor into anything, Ted Pick taking the helm? I think the management at Morgan Stanley has been exceptional for the better part uh, of really the last 10 years. Um, what we will see with Ted Pick coming in, I think, would be the consistency of that same type of strong leadership. Uh, but the financials are, are, are back in play because of that steepening of the yield curve. I'd be careful in including Morgan Stanley in that quote unquote money center bank group. Yeah. Because I still have, as I said the other day to you, Scott, I still have concern on the earnings potential mm -hmm. for a lot of money center banks. I think Morgan Stanley and to a certain extent Goldman Sachs as well, which looks very interesting to me. And I may take a position in Goldman Sachs soon enough here, uh, but they look they look appealing to me to stand out, differentiate themselves from traditional money center banks. And a lot of that is on the M&A. A lot of that is on uh, the IPOs, a lot of the advisory fees that I think are going to benefit from. Kerry, why no big banks? I mean, you got at, at financials, you got Blackstone, Schwab, Visa, but no, no banks. Amex. Yeah. Well, we, Why? because we participate in these upsides. I mean, Schwab has a bank. I mean, Schwab is a stock that has been really decimated by the market this year because it came down with all of those other banks. And it's a better positioned company, particularly for economic growth, consumer spending, consumer savings. And they have the ability to generate a lot of income because of their big cash deposits. There's been cash sorting. It's almost finished. We think Schwab, at, you know, it's 10 times earnings next year, I think is really a American Express. That is a play on the economy. It's a play on millennials becoming cardholders and also travel and spending, which we think will continue next year. Mm -hmm. And Blackstone for all of the financial you know, benefits of lower interest rates, which, which might happen. That stock has really picked up lately. I mean, it's been fantastic. But the big banks, we have thought, had problems. I think they're getting better. I think that the capital markets are going to improve. IPOs are going to happen again, secondaries. But we don't need that with our financial participation in order to take advantage. And maybe we'll buy, maybe we'll buy another financial, but it hasn't hurt this year not to own them. Right. Um, until the last couple of months, yeah. obviously. Joe, another new position, small uh, in Twilio, yes. which you've, you've owned before, I think on multiple occasions. I have. And here you are back again. Why? So this is a stock that I have not owned since uh, the latter part of 2020. It was a stock that I talked a lot about during yeah. the pandemic. I know the company well. Jeff Lawson's one, one of the best CEOs in the tech industry. Um, their, their cloud computing infrastructure is phenomenal. And what has happened with this company since the normalization in monetary policy is that they've been lumped into that group where uh, investors have not wanted to allocate capital. You mean like the group the like non-profitable Well, let's, growth? let's be careful with non-profitable growth because this is a company that beats and will achieve profitability soon enough. Can we just say- Right, but to it's, not, which, it's not profitable. Right, so right? We're, so we're, but when you look, when you look for this, careful. you'll see the profitability <laughs> in this company, I think, in the coming quarters. But it's been the cost of capital being the moving target that really has affected Twilio and a lot of the other names. Anyway, I want back into this company. I want to take a small position. And again, 
I'm looking at what we've witnessed here. The stock has moved aggressively. It's up from, 20. It's up 21 percent in a month. Yeah. So let, let's statistically uh, let's statistically define what it really looks like. The stock was at 50. Okay, in October, now we're in the mid 70s. It's getting away from me. I said two weeks ago, I want in on this. It was in the mid 60s. I haven't done anything. So I'm taking a small position. I hope it pulls back to the mid 60s so I could buy more. It's a position I want to build as we move into 2024 because I think this group of stocks, we've seen the, the, the worst part of the story already been priced into them. And Twilio, to me, stands out just because management's so phenomenal and the product mm. that they're living, delivering has such wide usage. Have they I'm moved wonder. the model from just, I mean, they've more diversi- versus- They've diversified yeah. the product stream yeah, significantly in the last two years. That was the criticism we owned of it, them you know, in 2021. And, and they've done that. And I don't think they're, give, they're being given enough credit for what they've done in diversification. Is this the diciest part of the rally, if you if you want to call it that? These the non-profitable growth stocks, the ARC innovation stocks. Mm-hmm. ARC's up yep. 18% in a month. I think November performance was the best in the history of that fund. Is that the diciest part of this rally? Well, I think this is the, it, you could say it is because it's it's essentially for as a bucket, and I think there is some differentiation within that bucket. It's basically on the move in rates and um, the, the change in, in what people feel is an appropriate valuation for these stocks. Everything kind of is. It's just this is accentuated well, by it, right? Well, there's also a big question about, you know, is there a path to profitability? Because I would argue that I think in the coming, you know, year mm-hmm. that this, the earnings quality Quality and profitability and the ability to not only be resilient on margins, but also perhaps have some margin recapture. Joe just paved the road to, to profitability is, for you. Is going to be important. So I think there is, you know, don't get too caught up in the fact that now that rates are coming down and that there will be rate cuts next year, that valuation can be thrown out the window and that profitability yeah. won't matter because we're not going back to zero interest rate environment. We're not going back to 2019. So I do think that there's some risk here if you're trying to, you, you know, pile into these types of names, think about the environment and the fact that we're still going to have a higher cost of capital next year than we had in the 2018-2019 period, and that you should be cautious if companies don't have a path to profitability, because I think when you look at the cost cutting that's been done specifically in technology this year, yeah. it's been you know, market, markedly um, important in terms of what's performed and what are, hasn't. Are these stocks ripe for some profit taking? Was Joe going to get his wish? and the chance to buy this stock back maybe, maybe in the 60s? I, I think it's possible. I think the idea of window dressing applies to window dressing that's both at the end of one year and the beginning of the next. So at the end of this year, everybody likes the idea that they've got greatly profitable stocks and clients will be happy and your fund looks good. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fully in agreement with, with that sort of thing. But you go into the next year and people are going to you know, want to take some profits and put the money that they've made in one stock that's up 100 percent into something else that hasn't done much. So I think Joe's going to have a chance to do it. It's not as if this rally is going to go on unabated. I mean, it's definitely going to have. Well, there are th- if, 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 there, if there are cracks, there are things that may crack first. Yeah. 
Yes. Like yeah. areas like this, potentially. Yes, and, and that's where I think it's important. Potentially. I think yeah. it's important to go bottoms up and really understand the company. So yeah. this is a company, again, on Twilio, yeah. you're going to see positive free cash flow generation in 2024. You could not have said that about this company in 21 or 22. The street is already right. modeling for 7% revenue growth in 2024. That is awful. So they've already priced in a worst case scenario for a company that's grown at double digits for the better part of the last seven years. I think the estimate for that revenue growth is way too low. But, but also with the Robin Hood type names, the names that became very hot in 2020, 2021, yeah. we know there are a lot of retail traders in those stocks. And those traders, you know, they've got quick fingers. And yeah, they but might there, have, was but they go up and they go down. Yeah, but the, so. There was that journal headline, what, not two, three days ago about you know, this whole new group of individual investors that, yeah. you know, more people own stocks today than did, you know, whatever the metric was dated to um, speaks to these kinds of names yeah. still staying in the, you know, activity zone. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, so the, they can go up. But, it, it, but but when you talk about whether they could go down, there is risk after a big rally that that people want to do a little more trading. And part of what that involves is they trade out of some names that they bought. They could keep some of it, but trim. Let, let me move to, to semis, because uh, since we're talking about areas of the market ha that have ripped, like, you know, like a Twilio, like a Morgan Stanley, like the ARC, uh, how about the chips? The chips are pacing now for their best year, the SMHs, since 2003. 80%, 80 of that ETF is outperforming the S&P. And you're going to get another good test today when Micron reports mm -hmm. in overtime. What do you make of what's going on here in, in this space? This, to me, is 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 a play on the economy. I mean, I, I think yeah. that if you think about economic growth and you think about um, you know the the new the new most cyclical part of the economy is semis. So um, I think this is a play on. We were worried about inventory builds. We were worried about you know the potential for um, you know margins to be very much uh, under pressure. Now we're really just looking at okay if. So, you know, the tech cycle from an enterprise spend perspective, maybe it's elongated a little bit, um, but we need, you know, you need data centers, you need more data centers, you need to be able to, um, we're not even talking about AI, just in general, yeah. to be able to support all of this um, data that's been put on the cloud, you need to be able to support that. And then the other thing is, is if you're thinking about cycles, you know, potentially just being elongated, but not falling off a cliff from a spending perspective, I think that that's where you're seeing this enthusiasm. And it's really tied to the economy. I do think that there is some some divergence potential in semis as we move into 24. I think if you think about, you know, consumer, autos, PCs, gaming, those maybe might, might be under pressure a little bit more. Um, but if you're looking at anything that's B2B um, or really supporting this growth in terms of cloud, uh, you know, there's there's probably a, a pretty long runway for that. I yeah. feel like, Joe, looking at this list of ownership of yours, that you may have more exposure to chips than any other sp specific group. Energy, maybe, but you got a lot of names. Broadcom, Analog, Applied Materials, KLA, LAM, Microchip, NVIDIA, NXP, ON, Synopsys, Skyworks. That's correct, and it's Pretty been good. that way since the end of April. Uh, the semiconductor industry has, has been by far the largest in the ETF. Um, you mentioned Micron, and this is where I think the differentiation between these companies really comes into play. You're looking at Micron, you're seeing a 60% gain, you're thinking about the improvement in memory, but 
why am I going to go buy Micron when I could just own Lamb Research? Lamb Research with $4 billion worth of free cash flow generation, Micron with negative free cash flow generation. So the return on equity is not there for Micron. The revenue growth is not there for Micron. There's so many other reasonable alternatives in the semiconductor space. The optimism is evident in semis. It's been there now consistently for three quarters. I think it's still in place. That's where I think you really have to study and go bottoms up and say, okay, a company like Micron, uh uh-uh, I've got a better alternative and it's Lamb Research. All right, the other M, so to speak, that we're watching today is Microsoft. The massive year. Stock's trading at near all-time highs. We've been talking about it a lot because it's trying for its best year since 2009. And really, the OpenAI announcement was everything because the stock is up, and that was in January, up 55% since then. Named a top pick today uh, for next year at Wells Fargo. 425 is the price target there. You own it? Yep been an incredible year. Fantastic. I mean, it's it, it, it trades with Amazon and Google to be our largest position on a daily basis, those, those three. Yeah, we like it, and we added to it this year, and we continue to like it. Now, people can say it's up so much, it's so big. In order to, for it to grow, it's a massive amount of revenue and and earnings to get 1% or 2%. These are companies that are bigger than the you know government spending of the UK. So we would, we would say that AI has been a game changer for Microsoft. And the fact that they, in quotes, won the battle with open AI, they've got Sam Altman where they want well, him. Well, at least they the, first, the yes, first battle the first, what is correct, going to be a, a long fought, correct. a pitched one, really, because Alphabet's not giving up. Others want a, a large piece of that pie, too. And what we're learning today, Steve Kovac, who joins us now, uh, our chief technology correspondent, is that survey says more good news. Yeah, that's right, Scott. And look, this is coming from uh, executives who are making these spending decisions about AI products. So we surveyed members of the CNBC Tech Executive Council on IT spend and more specifically around AI in many cases. And the results, this comes from council members made up of CTOs, CIOs, tech CEOs, etc. They're looking to accelerate their spending in artificial intelligence over the next year. So let's break down the numbers, what we learned, and talk about how Microsoft fits in here. More than half, 59%, say their companies are accelerating investments in AI capabilities. Everyone else in the survey still evaluating AI spending, but being more cautious about it. But look, 0%, big fat goose egg. No one is ignoring AI and how they want to buy it. Another interesting bit from this survey, 41% say they plan to spend the most capital on AI over the next 12 months. Only 9% said the most would go towards cybersecurity. I found that a little surprising in light of the slew of hacking reports we're getting recently, plus all that SEC disclosure rules means more are coming there. So where does that spending go? We asked uh, these members specifically about enterprise-level AI, i.e. Copilot, chatbots from Microsoft, Salesforce, and the like. More than half of them, that's 55%, said they plan to purchase enterprise AI software and soon within the next six months. And that's really good news for Microsoft and its pricey co-pilot for Office apps. And soon others like Google Workspace, not many other competitors there. We can throw in Salesforce, I guess, um, as a consolation prize there, Scott. But look, it's really all about co-pilot right now, like you guys were just talking about. Google still trying to catch up with its own workspace. Yeah, you perfectly laid out why it has been this massive year. For Microsoft, Steve, thank you uh, very much. Uh, Steve Kovac, 
We're going to also learn what Apple's plans are in the new year, right? That stock is just about 200 bucks, okay? Dan Ives today puts a 250 price target on it, reiterates outperform Joe, $4 trillion company next year. Just recently got back to $3 trillion, but here we go. Um, this is going to remain a central part of the uh, mega cap story into 24, and we're going to learn more about what their AI aspirations are, too. Intuitively, I say to myself, Apple compared to Alphabet, compared to Microsoft, compared to Amazon, I think the chances there for underperformance into 2024. And then I say to myself, okay, intuitively, what do you know? Because if you think about it, you, you go back. No, you go. You go back to last year, and you think about the overwhelming bearishness surrounding the Magnificent Seven. And I raised my hand. I was part of it. And it's the same type of bearishness for people overall with the market, right? People at that time who said the market's going back to 3,400. Today, the market's at 4,800, and they're just as bearish as they were then. And they'll tell you that the bulls are doing you a disservice at 4,800 by telling you to stay in the market. Well, in the case of Apple and Microsoft, if you think back, what did you do about it if, in fact, you maintain that bearishness at the end of the year? Did you eventually go towards Apple and Microsoft, which was the right position? And I think what you have to say to yourself at this point is, why are you going away at this point? Why would you look at it, Apple and Microsoft with everything that we have right now that we know about the innovation of generative AI and say to yourself, okay, it's a light switch. Turn the light switch off. It's time to not own these names. I just think it's wrong, and I think there's going to be a moment in 2024 where the market is going to want these names. There's going to be volatility in the marketplace. Maybe rates jump up a little. Maybe there's an inflation scare. And everyone's going to say, wait a second, we want our MAG-7 back again. So I just think it falls back to how do you own these stocks? How do you own them? and look at them relative to each other. Intuitively, I think Apple's got a chance for underperformance. But again, I'm going to trust my rules-based system, which says own them all. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, a flood of stocks on the move today from cyber to industrials to retail. We're going to hit them all in our calls of the day. And later, NFL veteran Brandon Copeland is back at Post 9, a member of our Financial Wellness Council. Find out how he is giving back even more this holiday season and empowering a future generation of athletes. Halftime's back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, we're back. Let's do our calls of the day now. We're going to start with Salesforce. Carrie, I'm starting with you. 
shares are a double this year, okay? Yeah. Yay, right? Like, big smile on your face. I see it. <laughs> Wells, though, downgrades the stock today yeah. to equal weight from overweight, take profits, value story outperformed throughout the year. What do you think? Yeah, well, I think they're wrong. Uh, I can understand anybody saying a stock that's up 100% in a year might need a pause. But this is a company that still has operating margins of much lower than their peers. They're in the 30% range. There are many software companies that are 30% plus. They have so far gotten all of the benefit or much to their credit by cutting costs. They really had excessive costs both on the human resource side, and then a lot of spending on marketing and sales efforts that were unnecessary. Now let's start to see the sales growth. And because sales are picking up in software and more enterprise spending, we think they're going to be a beneficiary of that. And I think that the stock can continue to outperform. But you know, no one should be criticized for taking some money off the table of a big cap name that is up 100%. I mean, it is interesting to see how analysts view certain stocks that are up a lot from where they came from to where they are now versus others that are up a lot, Mm -hmm. like CrowdStrike, yours, which is up 150% year to date, Zscaler up 100%, Wells names both of those top picks. So they're not getting off the train uh, anytime soon, it doesn't seem. CrowdStrike overweight target to 315 and Zscaler overweight target to 275. There's 222 for uh, Zscale. What about CrowdStrike here? Maintaining the position in CrowdStrike. I've said that all along. CrowdStrike, Palo Alto, I believe the cybersecurity thesis is a very strong one. It'll remain that in 2024. If, in fact, you are sitting in either one of these stocks, you see the significant gains. You understand that markets don't continue to just continue to climb the stairs ultimately all the way up. Every so often, we're missing a landing and stocks need to have the retreat and the correction. If you believe that, you go into Fortinet. That's exactly how you play the cybersecurity trade. I have no problem with people doing that. I acknowledge that can happen in uh, CrowdStrike. As far as Zscaler, I think this note is right. I think Zscaler is 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 a company that when you, you look at the company and now you move it to overweight, I see that. However, I wouldn't buy it here. I would not buy Zscaler here because I think there's more clear-cut opportunities, other directions you could go in where the balance sheets are in much better condition and you're not susceptible to the type of significant correction that Zscaler has exhibited in the past. I'm surprised that cyber is not a part of the Firestone portfolio in any way. Why? Did you just miss it? No. Um, I, I would, well, miss is a, a tricky word. You know, we've looked at these stocks. Book. and <laughs> cut and dry. Yeah, wait, wait, wait. Like black we and white. You either we got it or them. you didn't. We haven't owned them, but, but we've owned other names. So to the extent that we've been heavily invested in technology and communication services all year, I would say that we participated in this rally to a great degree. I'm not we, suggesting that you didn't, but what is why, it about, why didn't what we is it about like, this group? Because they seemed expensive. We have looked at them, you know. Off and on, we say, oh, we've got to look at cyber again. And we do. We own we own a stock that participates, but not in the same way. You know, Booz Allen Hamilton, BAH, is a, a government cyber-related consulting firm. But it is not a specific company that does software and does technology-related um, cyber. So, yes, we would love to see them take a break and come down. And I'm sorry, Joe, I, maybe you'll be out of it by then. Uh, um, I have some other calls I want to get to. Lowe's today was downgraded. Now, 
Lowe's and Depot both underperformed the, the S&P yes. this year. They're up double digits, but you know, not as much as the S&P. You own Home Depot. Right. Well, both these stocks have been hurt for a couple of reasons. One's when they were very, very strong during the pandemic. You know, everybody built a deck on their house. And then we hit the skids and nobody wanted to build anything. They all they just wanted to go on vacation. And then, of course, we had interest rates go higher. And that has affected the housing market and spending on everything that Home Depot does and Lowe's. But now, so the stock was up 14 percent this year. We think next year will be better because interest rates have stabilized, if not coming down. And you can only defer maintenance for so long and new home sales are starting to come back. So Caterpillar and Deer were named top picks, Joe, at Jeffries. Cat, margin pressure has begun to reverse. Deer, we believe ag equipment is among the best businesses and industrials right now. You own both of those in the Joe T. You own Deer personally. I'm more concerned about Deer. I've mentioned I think the ag cycle is clearly in trouble. Uh, we're seeing signals from the entire commodity complex that suggests there is a clear-cut economic contraction in front of us. Uh, the ag cycle is certainly going to not be immune to that. And I think as it relates to deer, um, at the upcoming rebalance at the end of January, we'll take a look and give consideration uh, to what the rules are saying we should do with the position. But clear has uh, clearly deer has been a disappointment. Shan, do you have a comment on, on these types of stocks? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't disagree with um, Joe's assessment on ag. I think, you know, the, the boost for industrials generally, and, and Kat would certainly benefit from this, is that, um, you know, we really haven't seen any sort of recovery in China to speak of. And so you would get a, there's significant correlation between these types of industrials and China. And so if you see a little bit of improvement coming into 2024, expectations a little bit higher in stimulus by the Chinese government, you could see a boost on industrials. Okay. Let's get the headlines now with Kate Rooney. Hi, Kate. Hey there, Scott. Americans who owe back taxes may now have an incentive to pay up. The IRS will waive nearly $1 billion in late payment penalties. More than 4.5 million individual taxpayers who owe for the 2020 and 2021 tax years are eligible. People who do qualify will get a special notice next month. The Federal Trade Commission is banning Rite Aid from using facial recognition technology at its stores for five years. The FTC alleges that from 2012 to 2020, the chain used facial recognition in hundreds of stores across several states to identify potential thieves, but generated thousands of false positives, mostly in predominantly black and Asian neighborhoods. In a statement, Rite Aid says it's pleased to reach an agreement, but it disagrees with the agency's findings. And the current Congress is one of the most unproductive in modern history. That's according to data from analytics firm Quorum, the partisan divide and Republican infighting taking most of the blame. According to that analysis, just 20 bills passing both houses were signed into law by the president. Scott, back over to you. All right, Kate, appreciate it. Thank you. Kate Rooney, up next, finding opportunities outside of the U.S. One emerging market trading at new highs. We'll find out how you can play it. We are back in just two minutes. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. 
Welcome back. Let's get to Bob Pisani now with today's ETF Fetch. Hey, Bob. Hello, Scotty. 2023 has not been a stellar year for international investing, particularly emerging markets. The exception is India. The India Sensex Index, this is an index of 30 large companies on the Bombay Stock Exchange, up 16% this year, closed yesterday, new high. There have been significant inflows into the largest ETFs to track India this year. Let's talk about India and investing in India with Burton Malkiel. He's Chemical Bank Chairman's Professor of Economics at Princeton University and author of the legendary investing text, one of my favorite books, A Random Walk Down Wall Street. And Kevin Carter is the Chief Investment Officer of the India Internet and E-Commerce ETF and the Emerging Markets Internet and E-Commerce ETF. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us. Kevin, uh, you have said to me numerous times that India is the perfect emerging market. Well, why do you say that? Well, it, it, it really has everything you're looking for in the emerging market. It's, it's the largest country now by population, having passed China. It's the youngest population. It has the fastest growing economy. Most of that growth is in middle class consumption. Uh, you've got a government that is a, a democracy and that's now finally running the country like a business. And finally, you have a, a tech talent pool in India that's unmatched. You have to remember there's uh, in the S&P 500, there are 25 uh, Indian CEOs. So there's nothing else really like this that's ever existed in emerging markets, as far as I'm concerned. And, and Bert, you've been uh, studying emerging markets for, for decades. I know you've been talking about this for a long time. Kevin paints a very rosy scenario about India, but is there anything that could derail this? I remember there were a lot of China bulls 10 or 15 years ago that have cooled on China since then. Is there, is there anything that worries you about all of this well, seemingly what's good interesting news? About what happened to China is India is where China was maybe 20 years ago, where they were moving away from socialism, uh, introducing capitalism. That's what India is doing now, moving away from the socialist governments they had before the Modi governments. And the demography is just terrific. India is the only country the, where the population is growing. And as Kevin said, it's quite young. It is, uh, you've got 10 working age people for every one uh, retired person. China had that 20 years ago. What derailed China is part because they have moved back to a leader, Xi Jinping, who is more like Mao than Deng Xiaoping was. And you've got a demography that totally turned around where China is now aging rapidly and China has uh, 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 basically uh, the amount of aging and the retired people that we have in the Western economies. So what stopped China, obviously it could stop India, but the beautiful thing at least about the demography is that at least for the next decade, India will be the youngest population and the only growing population uh, among the major uh, countries of the world. All right, we're going to have a lot more coming up about India on ETF Edge at 1.10 p.m. Eastern Time. Bert and Kevin will be joined by Todd Sony, the ETF and technical strategist at Strategic Securities. We're going to be reviewing global markets. We're going to set the tone for international investing in 2024. We're going to get a lot more into why India is, for many, the perfect emerging market economy. That's ETFedge.cnbc.com. 
Scotty, back to you. All right, Bob. I appreciate it. Thank you, Bob Pisani. Up next, Mike Santoli. He's here with his midday word. And later, Brandon Copeland, live at Post 9, spent a decade in the NFL, now empowering the next generation of athletes. We'll talk to him about all of that. Much more halftime's back in two. Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli is at the desk. I mean, if you thought, okay, well, FedEx may be the thing that maybe gives you a crack for a day. Yeah. Well, maybe for a minute it looked like it could be. Not now. Yeah, this market is willing to hive things off that don't really fit into the broader narrative when you have the weight of the evidence that's built up that suggests that things are otherwise okay. We've known that freight was sort of a, an issue for, uh, you know, generally in the economy. It wasn't looking great. FedEx has had execution issues. You can always basically cause the, uh, a rationalization for why it doesn't matter. I think the bigger thing is the whole relentlessness of the rally getting so much attention. So it's that kind of moment in the rally when if you're a little bit cautious because we've gone too far, you're still going to give the market the credit for just, you know, getting even more stretched. If you're bearish, you're a little bit afraid to stand in the way. And so it just kind of grinds higher and does its own thing until, you know, until it gets to further extremes. But it's happening in this way where it, these rallies are broad, they're modest index level moves. And, um, you know, maybe we're pulling forward a little bit of the, the, the end of the year, you know, final days of the year rally. But probably not that to too much consequence. This relentless Russell, right? Yeah. It's what we keep watching and talking about because just when you think it looks to be maybe out of steam, it proves to be just a momentary bit of rest. Yeah. It's up, you know, four and a half percent over a week. And I think that the explanation for that is the multi-year charts, which is it was just kind of left for dead and it was, it was just sort of like bumping along the lows. Uh, the range lows for such a long time. And everyone collectively understands that if the economy's ha- holding up, if the Fed doesn't feel like it needs to kneecap the economy to get things done, small caps are in the wrong spot. So that, I think that's all that matters. And you can trade them all with a click of a mouse now, right? So it doesn't right. really, ma- it has to build up to some kind of bigger story than that. All right, I'll see you on closing bell. Yeah. Mike Santoli, that's our senior markets commentator. Straight ahead, time to pump the brakes. One of Kerry's holdings up 20% this month, gearing up to report earnings in OT. She's going to tell us what she thinks about that report and her position when we come back. All right, let's get the setup on some key earnings coming our way. CarMax Thursday for the bell. That's tomorrow morning. Yeah. You own it. Yeah, you bet. So CarMax is a stock that's really underperformed the market because car sales are weak and used car sales are even weaker. And interest rates have not helped. But think about this. This stock earned almost $7 a share two years ago. The number this year is going to be $3. It's a February fiscal year. It'll be over 4 we think, next year. A lot of upside potential because you can't hold off forever to buy a new car. Cintas, Joey, that's also tomorrow morning. Yeah, that's in the since inception group, the Joe T ETF. I've had ownership there since around 325. Comps are going to start getting a little bit harder for this company. Keep in mind there's a correlation between strength in the labor market and earnings as well. Um, that's, again, could be a little difficult in coming quarters. All right, quick break. Brandon Copeland on the other side. Welcome back. Hundreds of underprivileged children across the country won't miss out on Christmas this year, thanks in part to our next guest. Brandon Copeland spent 10 years in the NFL, now spends a lot of his time giving back through his philanthropic work and by teaching financial literacy to other athletes at the college and pro level. He's also a member, we're proud to say, of CNBC's Financial Wellness Council back here at Post 9. Always a pleasure. Welcome back. I appreciate you having me. Yep. Um, Wish you a happy new year and all that. Good health. So let's talk about this December to remember uh, because that is truly special. It's a shopping spree, essentially, for hundreds of kids. Tell me. Yeah. So 
years ago, 2018, when I was a New York Jet, my wife and I, we started taking 60 kids shopping. And I played on six different teams, 10 years. And one part about being a journeyman, you make a lot of friends across the league. And so we figured, hey, how do we get our friends to do the same thing in their cities the, day, the same day we do it. So this year we got 500 kids. We have some kids that recently lost parents. We have some kids that are homeless and trying our, their hardest to get their GED and get a job and things like that. And we just wanted to bless them all with $200 shopping sprees each. They all show up thinking they're doing community service, trying to help the world, and then they get surprised with $200 shopping sprees at Target. And so it's a great time. Over 20 NFL players involved across 10 states. And, it's the best thing that we do all year. Big cities, Atlanta, Baltimore, Boston, Dallas, Detroit, Indy, yep. L.A., Miami, Newark, Seattle, and Tampa. I'm imagining that convincing some of the, your friends and was pretty easy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the beautiful thing, uh, a lot of the guys talk about, hey, we compete on Sunday, Monday, sometimes Thursday, but the rest of the week we're working together to change the community, change the world, and, and it's been really special the way that they've all joined in on this effort and already committed to next year as well, too. Yeah. Graduated from the Wharton School. Uh, yep. I just want to get get that out there um, yet again because I think people need to know that. Um, athletes.org. Yep, athletes.org. You, you announced that on our program. Yeah. Correct? How's yes. that been going? One, thank you for allowing me to announce it on the, the program here. It's been going unbelievably well, man. It has uh, been, I've been getting more bags under my eyes, right? Like running a company and building a team and all those things. But what we've effectively built is the Players Association for College Athletes. And, mm. um, you know, obviously we're here on CNBC and we talk about money. The NCAA is generating billions of dollars in revenue with off athletes as the product. And um, athletes are now able to make money via NIL, which is marketing dollars, but that's not necessarily accounting for the money in tickets and concessions and all the other revenue produced. And so what athletes.org is doing is we're helping athletes maximize their income by negotiating those things for them, also giving them a voice and giving them on-demand support, pro bono lawyers, free background checks, uh, a number of different things, free me second medical opinions so that we can stop the horror stories that we've always heard for athletes, because now athletes are just going pro earlier. But your job's harder, I, I would imagine, just given what you said about the NIL money. Yeah. So a lot of these kids have now hundreds of thousands, if not millions yeah. of dollars. Literally. And theoretically, no idea what to do with it to preserve it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, for me, doing financial education, the way I always said it, I would go in the pen, I would go talk to athletes, I'd go talk to people, and the first thing people ask is like, hey, what should I invest in? What should I do with my money? And you got to say, well, seek professional advice. The beautiful thing about athletes.org, we've had a lot of people reach out wanting to help. And so we've put together these resources that can actually help the athletes do. So they can connect with a lawyer that can help look over a contract. They can connect with negotiators, doctors, mental wellness experts as well, too. So we can actually help athletes do with their money as well as provide them the education that they need to. You, you've made, obviously, we've discussed this on numerous occasions, financial literacy, a, a key part of who you are. Yes, sir. And what you want to empower others with. In the years that you've been talking about it with us, what kind of changes have you seen in the teachings that you've done and the lessons that yeah. those that you've tried to empower have learned? Yeah, I think it's, it's beautiful the way the conversations have elevated and evolved over the years, right? Like you start, you know, early on with just budgeting and taxes and understanding things like that. And then now you have conversations with guys and they're like, look, Cope, like, let's talk about venture investing. Let's talk about real estate. Let's talk about more um, intricate investments, right? Alternative investments. And so um, it's athletes now want to be owners of 
different assets. And uh, we have blueprints from folks like LeBron James and Serena Williams. And uh, it is really, really amazing to see how the narrative has changed in just a short amount of time where now athletes are not only influencing their communities and the next generation of athletes to think differently and to think bigger about their platform, uh, but also actively doing things, owning franchises and doing venture investments and things of that nature. So it's been phenomenal and I'm just excited to, that I can use my platform and my voice and my collaborative mindset to bring people around the table that want to continue to build together. Well, we're happy to have you in the family. I tell you, we're proud of you every time you're with us because we I truly are. You. I appreciate Proud you. of the work that you do. Uh, as I said, Happy New Year, a healthy one. Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays to you and your family. We'll see you soon. Sounds good. All see right, you soon. that's Brandon Copeland. Don't forget, closing bell, 3 o'clock Eastern today as well. Tom Lee is going to join me. So we had a big bear yesterday. Well, we've got the biggest bull with me today. And we're looking forward to that at 3 o'clock Eastern. Let's do final trades. What do you got, Kerry? I'll give you Charles Schwab, SHW. This is a financial. It's started to have a move. It's had a tough year. Low price stock. We think it's attractive. Joey T. I think PayPal is about to have a breakout, and I have to say this. I've watched Brandon. We see him. He's huge. He's massive. <laughs> but his heart is the biggest thing on that man. All right, final. Uh, REITs, uh, yields are going to start to come down, and there's opportunity there um, for both return and yield. You don't get a final trade, but I got 20 seconds. You got a Super Bowl pick? Oh, <laughs> listen, Lamar Jackson, healthy Lamar Jackson, one of the hardest individuals in the world to stop. Healthy yeah. Lamar Jackson, let's go Baltimore Ravens. Bring oh, it home. Okay. Uh, <laughs> there you go. There's your Super Bowl pick. I'll yeah. see you on closing bell at 3 o'clock. So we're green across the board. We got 75 points for the Dow, which is already in record territory. See you in a bit. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 